Uh, to tell you the story uh, about when I was younger, um, I, I was born to basically a single parent. You know, mom and dad were 15 when they had me. Um, ironically, I was on my own at 15 as well, but uh, they were never married and we never had like the, uh, you know, the, the little house and the, the perfect family and all that stuff. You know, we went through challenges that a lot of families go through. They struggled, you know, work and a young child as they were children themselves, right? And as a result of that, I ended up, you know, living with different family members and friends and just trying to have some sort of a normal life, normal being what I saw around me. Although yeah. I realized that there are a lot of people that actually went through the same thing. It's very hard to understand that when you're a young person, right? Yeah. Um, which is why a lot of parents struggle and spoil their kids to the best of their ability because they just want to, they just want to give their children what they want and they want, they don't want them to be embarrassed. They want to be, they want them to be proud of them and so on and so forth. Um, so at an early age, you know, we stood, I stood in food lines. Um, we were on food stamps, um, again, living on different sofas and things like that living in some rough neighborhoods, got jumped by gangs a few times, um, had to hide on my way to school and to and from school many times wow. from bullies or gangs or you name it, um, drug dealers. And, and I never got into any of that stuff. My mom definitely instilled great values in me very early on, even though she was a young parent, always said, you know, never join gangs, never, never do drugs or any of that stuff. And it really, really stuck with me. I literally feared her more than I feared, like having the acceptance of, gangs or, or like, <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the yeah. fear of being jumped or any of that stuff. It was always a, I was always worried about my mom and like, yeah. you know, the, the, she always put sort of the fear of God in me, if you will, a uh, real tough redhead, you know, uh, and probably because she had to be, you know, uh, yeah. raising a young person on her own. So um, as I got older, um, my mom moved me out of there uh, to a state up North, which was a little more mellow. And uh, she ended up going back to that area uh, just shortly thereafter, maybe six months later. And I just didn't want to go back. And I, and I said that I would stay with a family friend. But a week after she left, I just, I told him, uh, I'm, I'm going to go out and try it on my own. And he's like, well, I'm here if you need me. And he, he supported me, like, uh, I guess, sort of psychologically, he was sort of that rock I could count on if I needed to make a phone call or whatever. But I never went back and lived with those folks. I was on my own at 15. And I just went out and, and did my thing and paved my own way. And, and uh, it worked really it well for me. Yeah. What does it look like to go out on your own at 15? Like that just seems crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's maybe not as, I'm not, I'm not uh, endorsing this or condoning that. I, I would never encourage anyone to do that. It's not easy, but it seems like as the technology age has grown and information is so accessible, it's becoming more, uh, more common that people are, you know, going out and, and, uh, and going out on their own at a younger age, you know, uh -huh. um, maybe not that age, but, but it is interesting back in the day, it definitely, it wasn't the norm or accepted, I guess. Uh, I would just say that there are a lot of, there are a lot of young people maybe that are in a, in a rough environment and they don't have a support system perhaps. And so they'll run off and they'll get themselves caught up with the wrong crowd. And then that will direct their future. It'll put them down the wrong path. I was fortunate to not get caught up in that crowd. And the way it looked for me was, I went out on my own. I stayed with some friends um, on and off and then actually was homeless for a very short period of time. I remember sleeping in a rest stop on, on the freeway rest stop um, for wow. a couple of nights and thinking to myself, this, this is it. Like this is, this is my life. And, uh, and at that point, uh, maybe not that exact point, but right around that time frame, 
there was just this fire burning in me. This I wanted something more. I, I just wanted to be relevant. I wanted to be worthy. I wanted people to look at me like I had something to offer. And so as I started to work, and I, I mean, I literally worked at Wendy's, I worked at a tanning salon, I, I installed car stereos. Um, as I got my license later on in life, I was like delivering hot tubs. I mean, I had three or four jobs at a time while trying to kind of go to school and that didn't work very well and was out and then in and so on and so forth. So the way it looks is it's ugly, it's gritty, it's tough. Um, I can remember uh, before I had a car, taking my bicycle and going to a payphone. Yes, there were actually payphones before pages and cell phones and calling my grandmother with tears in my eyes down in Southern California and just telling her like I literally had no money to eat and like didn't even know where to go or what to do and was just embarrassed to go ask anyone that I knew any for anything, right? And, you know, grandma was, I was fortunate enough to have a great grandmother who literally would take a rent money to, to help a family member out. And she sent me $20. And I just remember it was like a lifeline and mm. that was real. And I remember I literally had to script and scrounge to find a quarter to call her. Like I had nothing. Right. Um, yeah. And so what I'm saying is that it wasn't always that way. You know, there are so many people way worse off than I was. I had some places I could probably go and sleep on the couch or maybe go stay with the family friend or whatever, but they weren't environments that I wanted to be in. Um, and I, I just had to find my way. So the way it looks, it's gritty, it's ugly, it's scary as hell. And you have to have some sort of, to your point, purpose or value system or work ethic to drive you through. And you have to stay away from the bad influences so that you can stay very focused on what you need to do to survive. And so what I did was I got a, a job very early um, and then another job and another job and tried to go back to school several times, um, eventually dropped out. I believe it was halfway through 11th grade for the final time. And wow. then um, ironically, later in life, I got my GED and took some college courses and stuff and scored really high, which was funny because it'd been so long since I'd been in school. But um, I, I, basically, it was work ethic that got me through that challenging time and staying away from the trouble. Of course, it was close. I made friends with older folks, which, again, helped me to survive um, there was a lot of fighting and struggling and just, you know, proving yourself out there. But I figured it out and nothing really bad happened to me, a few bruises and things like that. But overall, it made me psychologically so much stronger, um, really toughened me up to what to expect in the world when you really got out on your own, which is becoming an adult, right? Yeah. Well, what was the first thing that you did I saw that wasn't a normal job, uh, at, after after you had decided to strike out on your own as a teenager, yeah. So when I was when I was uh, was I think just turned 15, 15 and a half somewhere in there 15, 15 and a half. Um, I was just doing side jobs for for people, friends, family, whatever. You know, you're mowing a lawn, you're cleaning up stuff, you're collecting cans. Literally, I mean, we would go around and collect as many cans as we could because you got five cents at the time, which was a lot. It wasn't by the pound. And so you could, if you could go around and collect cans, you could actually make a little bit of money. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to buy dinner or lunch or whatever. And so we did that constantly, my buddies and I, um, all over the place. It seems crazy, but I remember how relevant it was. Um, yeah. It was really, really important. And it was great to have that ability or that access to that. Uh, then we would go out and again, after side jobs, I realized I have to find something that's a little more consistent. So I got a job at Wendy's and I was 15. You needed a work permit. And I, uh, I, I think I got a work permit through again, through that family friend or something. And because uh, I think you had to have a signature if I remember correctly. And I got a part-time job there. And that was my first like real job. But well before that, 
I was doing car washes and paper routes and selling candy at school and selling sodas in my lockers at school and all the way from like 13, 14, 15 years old. I did whatever I could to make a little extra money. And that's the seed that was planted in me very early by my mother. She said, you know, if you want something, you got to work for it. We don't have money. So yeah. you have to figure out how to get it done. And yeah. I did. I mean, it, it may seem silly, but like if you wanted a boogie board to go to the beach or if you wanted, and this is in Southern California, yeah. or you wanted uh, shoes or something like that, you, you had to find a way to make yeah. the money to do it. Yeah. We, so you said that at, when you were a teenager, you, you really wanted your life to be relevant somehow. What was the first time that you remember feeling like you did something that made your life feel like it was relevant? Well, like the reason I wanted a life that was relevant is, is in it, this goes back to when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, when I was first getting jumped by these bullies, right? These gangs and bullies. Um, and really being at the bottom of what I felt was my life. I mean, I, I, all the stuff I've been through and I've been in the police reserves. I was a reserve officer for five years, literally been shot at, um, had all kinds of things happen um, and gone through some tough things in my life. But those years when I was young, when I was impressionable, when I didn't have a good support system to push me up because mom was working, dad wasn't around much. Those were the lowest times of my life. And that's really where that sort of purpose-driven mindset started. I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that then, but I know definitely that was a defining moment in my life because shortly thereafter, uh, I got into some martial arts. I got into football and then actually moved out of the area and then got out on my own and really started to develop my skill sets. So it wasn't, it wasn't, um, that was a defining moment that changed things. And then I apologize. I don't think I directly answered your question, but that was when things started to change. It's all good. I feel like every time I ask you a question, I get another interesting angle of your life. Um, I'm going to ask you the big question of the of the episode now, which is what do you hope will be your eulogy? This is a big, heavy question. When you're sure. dead, what do you hope people are saying about you? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um, I, I think we all try. We try to live a life to the best of our ability with some sort of purpose, some sort of vision of, of, of how people will see us. And, you know, I would say that, you know, I, I was a man or, or here stands a man that, that walked alone, but was actually never alone. Um, he was driven by purpose, love, ethics, and a passion for the work that was still there to do. And something like that, like I, yeah. I'm driven by a deeper purpose. It's not a religious thing. It's not a, I got to feed my family thing. It's, I have a lot going on. I'm 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 a person who loves. I'm a person who works hard. I have ethics and integrity. But what drives me is what is still left to do, whether it be the charity work we do or the business we want to build or the investors we want to help retire early. You name it, there's always something that needs yeah. to be done. And that's why does, that's really what drives me. Why does that stuff matter to you so much? It matters. And again, it goes back to being young and standing in food lines. It's funny because, and this is 100% true. And I say this because when you say this, people sometimes, oh yeah, 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 money matters. Well, of course money matters. But when you get to a level of success where you can buy what you wanna buy, like if you wanna go buy a new car, you can buy it. If you wanna go buy, go to Costco, you can buy what do you want at Costco. Like you don't even think twice about it. There was a time in my life where I, I didn't have the money to go eat, right? So that drive and ambition and work ethic in me comes from such a young age that was really deep rooted that it's not even about the money for me. The drive comes from never wanting to sleep on a sofa again. 
right? Never wanting to not be able to buy a meal again. And I say that with absolute honesty and truth. And it's the only thing I can point to, to why I continue to work 18 hours a day. I work seven days a week. I mean, I will take a day off here and there. I will go on a vacation every once in a while, but you will constantly, you will constantly get a hold of me because I'm always mm. working in the <laughs> office on the road, doing this, working a deal. And that doesn't, that there's more to life than money. So it's not like I need a bunch more money. Quite honestly, I have enough passive cash flow today to retire, right? And live a decent life, not the life I necessarily want to live, but definitely a decent life and not want, just be okay, right? Yeah. But money doesn't drive me. That freedom doesn't necessarily drive me today. It's wanting to feed a million people through mm. the work we do with Feeding America. It's wanting to help other people understand that they're valuable and they're worthy and they can go out and do exactly what I did if they're willing to put in the work. It's yeah. not rocket science, right? And so yeah. there is a deep-rooted thing in there that is really hard to quantify unless you've been there. If you've really struggled, then you hustle, hustle, hustle so no one can catch you and take what you've earned. And that's yeah. just something that is so embedded in me. I, I couldn't even quantify it. I just, I can only explain it that way. And I hope that yeah. articulates it well enough. No, no, I love that a lot. So my next question is an interesting one. And it's one that a lot of people have a hard time answering. And I probably would have a hard time answering it too. But it's a, it, it's like a, got to dig into myself a little bit to answer it, which is, um, if I keep doing this, I'll never achieve that vision. Or if I keep, or if I allow this, this thing that's within me to have control, I'll never achieve that vision. So what is that for you? What it is for me is throughout my life, and it, it kind of goes back to a deeper question you asked, which was, I answered here is a man that stands alone, but was never alone, right? I, I, my whole life, have had to be independent. I've never had anyone to depend on in my mind, right? So the reason I work those hours, and anyone that I have ever worked for will tell you this, my mentors throughout life, they'll tell you like, man, you work harder than anyone I know, like, because physically, I put in those kinds of hours, right? Um, and I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, when you're, when, when you have that embedded in you and you, and you have that mindset, um, there's, there's no way to fail. And um, I think I lost track of your question. I apologize. Ask me a question one more time. Yeah. I was the going somewhere with that. It's all good. The question, the question is what's, what's in you or uh, a bad habit or a mindset or something that if allowed to persist yes. or if allowed to grow, you'll never achieve your vision. That's great. So here's the answer to that question. I am I have been geared or conditioned to do everything on my own because that's how I got where I am today. Of course, indirectly, you have a team to support you. You have family and friends, wife, husband, significant other. But I have been so conditioned to cross the T's and dot the I's that sometimes it's hard for me to get out of my own way. In other yeah. words, you can't scale and grow and yep. you can eventually fail if you're not willing to let others in, delegate, and help you to see that vision through. And I think that's probably been one of my biggest challenges is to identify what I can piece off to someone else and allow them to come in and learn and help me grow and exponentially um, uh, get to where we want to go. I, I feel like I could have guessed that from you just based <laughs> off of the, um, I am the type of person that's going to outwork everybody. I'm going to put in the 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, 
it's hard for entrepreneurs to get out of the weeds of their own business. Uh, this is something that I just hear from a lot of successful entrepreneurs. Like they're, they're, I've just talked to people that are so successful and yet they are still doing way, in my opinion, it seems like they're doing way more than they need to be doing in their own business. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Do, do you agree, no, I, disagree? I, I 100% agree. And I, and I think it's really important too to, you know, again, as we, as we look at each other here, uh, as we're, as you're interviewing me, we're talking, it's very easy to judge. You know, it's very easy to look at people and go, well, you know, you're not wearing the right clothes or you don't have the right pedigree or you got facial hair, or you got <laughs> a tattoo or whatever. Right. And, and I think for all of us, it's really important to identify your strengths and weaknesses, surround yeah. yourself with people that complement those strengths yes. and weaknesses yes. and just be humble and, and, and work and lead by example. And, and that seems so simple, but it's true. I see a lot of leaders that don't lead by example, or they get to a point in their life where they start to step back and then they forget what got them there. And then they forget that there are people looking at them for leadership, right? And so that's why it's really hard, I think, for entrepreneurs to delegate. It's because the really good ones are in it. They're in the mm -hmm. thick of it, right? Yeah. And so I, I, did, I agree 100% that the hardest thing for an entrepreneur is to let that thing go that they spent so much time and energy creating. Um, and I would also tell people, when you're trying to aspire to be an entrepreneur, maybe you've got these great ideas, you've built a business and you're out there trying to do something else, you know, to not judge books by their covers, um, not necessarily look at someone's resume, but really truly look at the content of their character, give them a task, ask them, would you be willing to work for free and see yeah. if they look at you funny or if they're like, yeah, absolutely. When, when do I start? You know, and, yeah. and, and test that process because that's where you'll really truly find people that you can put on your team that will help you get to where you want to go. Um, yeah. It's not always just about, you know, a fancy college degree um, or a really fancy resume or even a reference. It's show me what you're going to do and give me an opportunity uh, to, sh to see if you're going to fail or succeed. So many people just want an opportunity. And I feel like one of the blessings that we have as uh, business owners is we, we, we have opportunities that we can offer. Uh, sure. Now, me, way smaller than you. I've got just a few roles that I can hire for. But it is very exciting to think like, oh, I, I you know, I've got clients. I got to serve them that, you know, it's, it's starting to get more than just what I can do. So that means it's time for me to look for, you know, somebody to hire. And it's just, it's really exciting to, to be in that seat. That's kind of new for me. It was like, okay, I get yeah. to, I get to be the reason somebody's making money, which is really yeah. cool. <laughs> oh, it's, it's amazing. You change lives. I mean, we, we've, we've changed lives. I mean, we, and, and. People did that for me. One of my mentors when I was younger changed my life. He gave me an opportunity. He gave me a book. He, he, he literally changed the path of my life completely. And yep. I owe so much to him. And, and I think that's so relevant, right? We, we really have to open up our minds and, and allow people in and give them an opportunity to fail uh, and not just judge. And one person in my life said something a long time ago, which is probably a coined phrase all over, but it was hire for attitude and train for skill. And that really stuck with me because I thought, you know, if someone has the right attitude and they're willing to show up, that means a lot more to me than some fancy place that they necessarily worked. Right. Yeah. I, I want to know that they're in it with me and that they're going to battle with me and they're going to listen and open their mind. Um, it, yep. It's, it's truly amazing. So, yeah, I love it. What do you hope people will say about Sterling Rhino capital other than just a brute definition of what the company does? So if, if one day someone writes a Wikipedia page on your company, what do you hope people will identify about it? 
Well, I love that question because I think about certain brands uh, quite a bit. And I think about, you know, like, why do I love Starbucks, for example? Uh, well, it keeps me awake um, and I'm addicted, <laughs> I guess. But um, but it's it's a little more than that. I love their consistency. I like their CEO and the way he articulates things. I love his vision of why they built the company. Um, you know, why do you like, say, Walmart or Sam Walton? Some people hate him, right? I would hope that with Sterling Rhino Capital, that people would look back and actually not look at the name Sterling Rhino Capital, but look at the fact that we helped people retire early through partnering with us. And that they might say something about the CEO and founder and how I love to climb mountains and, and I was a rescue scuba diver and how I, I gave back as a volunteer police officer and didn't even get paid for it. And that that was great because I told stories and they shared stories with me and that we resonated with each other as partners in this business, not that we were just some financial institution because that's relevant to me. The, the stories are relevant to me. And I'm, I'm very approachable with all my clients and customers. And I, I would hope that that is something they would remember and not that we were just some brand or some financial institution. Yeah. What are some systems that you've put in place that are actively helping you accomplish that hope that you just expressed for how yeah. people would view your company? Well, the first thing we do is is everyone has full access to me, and that's not that's not normal. Oftentimes, as you scale, you outsource your uh, customer service or you outsource your investor relations or whatever it may be. And I enjoy that piece, so I do the investor calls with all the investors, and they have my cell phone. So if they have a question or need something, they can reach directly out to me. Of course, we got to do calendars and stuff because we're we're all busy, right? But if there's an issue, they can reach me, which is really really important. As you grow, that's that's harder and harder to do but I pride myself on that. Uh, the other thing is our social media content and the videos we produce. You know, um, we'll, we'll post personal things about my mountain climbing or goals or vision and ask you know, questions on there. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, Forbes Real Estate Council, I'm a member there and we post things about real estate and early retirement and the vision of where they wanna be in life. And, and uh, you know, so those are some of the things we try to do. It's the touch points. It's the, it's the connection with us and me particularly um, where you're not dealing with some corporation on the seventh floor, three-piece suit sitting in the corner uh, and your money's out of reach. It's, no, no, I can call Chris up if I have a concern or a question. And of yep. course, uh, we have to schedule and all that, but um, that, that's some of the things we do. And we get great feedback on that as well, that, that people really like that approach. I love that. My last question for you, Chris, is a selfish one. Uh, my word for 2021, sorry, my alarm's going off. No, that's all right. Uh, okay, uh, Dang it, I'm gonna have to edit this part. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. You have to edit the other one too with me uh, earlier when I made the mistake because I fixed it. <laughs> Wait, which mistake? On my answer. When I said, oh, I forgot your question. Can you go back? Oh, and then I answered no. it. No, no, no. I'm not editing that. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a big believer in authenticity. I'm tempted right. to not even edit out my uh, alarm so going good. off. So my last question to you is uh, the selfish one. And that is my, my word for 2021. You know how people do that. Um, is uh, reliability. Um, it's something that I was praying about and felt like God wants me to focus on for this year is just being a more reliable person. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. When I say my business is going to do something, my business is actually going to do it. So anyway, this is the question is what's the, what's the most successful or most um, uh, helpful thing you've ever done or system you've ever put in place that has made you a more reliable person or made you a more reliable person um, CEO, uh, or made your business more reliable, like you as a person, I, I really want to sure. ask it off yeah. of that. Well, there's, there's two parts to this, uh, answer if, if I can give it, yeah. um, the, the first part is 
my my passion and enthusiasm for life stemmed from a young age, but I quickly realized that it was really about people. Like if uh-huh. I was going to get if I was going to get anywhere in life, I had to understand people. So personally, where my growth and development occurred and what I attribute the most of my success to is understanding people and really caring. Like, and I don't mean caring as though, you know, I care necessarily about a certain thing, but I really want to understand people. And and I have realized throughout life that when I have a good in-depth conversation with someone and I listen to them and then they listen to me and we understand each other, if I run a really good investment business, people will want to invest with me because they know me. They really understand me and they know what motivates me, right? Or inspires me. And likewise, I feel the same about them. And I just feel that connection with people. We're starting to lose a little bit. And it's really sad. You know, you see so much social media and all the altering of photos and everything. And I'm like, man, I just remember a day when like you, you couldn't, you couldn't get a hold of someone unless you wrote a letter or you had a phone call, but your friend was on the phone and you couldn't get out or whatever, right? Yeah. It was like, you didn't have social media. And so I, I think for me personally, that's the first part is, is understanding the people and really connecting with them in some way, shape or form. And if we do business, we do. If we don't, that's okay too, right? Yeah. But yeah. That, that really helped me in life, especially before I was an entrepreneur, CEO and business yeah. owner and all that. Yeah. It was early on that that really helped me carve my life. And the other part of that is, well, how do you continue to maintain those relationships or how do you develop them or measure them well, you have to have good systems in place, right? Yeah. Back in the day, it was just a phone book, right? Now you have CRMs where you can track conversations with people. You go, oh yeah, Bobby loves to do this. Bobby loves to do that. That's right. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And likewise with me. And so I think you have to be organized and have good systems in place to help you maintain those relationships because we have so much capacity in the brain, right? Yep. I love it. Fully agree. How can listeners connect with you, Chris? They can reach us at sterlingrhinocapital.com. Um, I would encourage people to go in there if they want to learn more about our real estate investing to download our early retirement calculator. It's the most dynamic one I've seen. Our, our partners built it and uh, CPAs vetted it. It's amazing. It just shows you how the, you know, the returns are really good compared to the stock market. And then we also have a lot of information available on our YouTube channel. Lots of fun stuff. I go in there and talk a lot about real estate and laws and taxes and things like that. Um, and then we have a Facebook uh, investor think tank, Sterling Rhino Capital. Um, you can also uh, reach me uh, at Chris at sterlingrhinocapital.com. Great, Chris. Thanks so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you, man.